1: Happy fifth day into the new year, everybody, and thanks for downloading episode number 120 of Scoring at the Movies, the spoiler-infested podcast about sports films that drops every other Thursday. We hope you've already seen Youngblood, because we will be spoiling it from helmet to skateblade today. I'm the middle-sized white boy from Hamilton, I really am, who has extremely sweaty sex with girls who drive the Zamboni, Ryan Ellis, and here's the tough guy who slew the other team's best player and uses his hockey stick like a lance but has no problem trimming his own pubes. Thank you very much, Chris DiGregorio. Wow. Thanks, Ryan. There was a lot (laughs) lot to digest in that
0: (laughs) intro. I was doing my pre-record stroll around the expansive Ellis Estate and its many corridors, wearing only my jockstrap, as I do, and managed to get myself lost. But thankfully, Bev was there to point me in the right direction, back towards the recording booth, but only after taking an uncomfortably long look at my exposed Heine there. Mm -hmm. Not that I can blame her any, but still. (laughs) I want to have a word with her about that. But yeah, you mentioned a lot there, including the fact that you are from Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, you were born at St. Joseph Hospital, right? I don't actually think it was the St. Joe's in Hamilton, but we do get an exterior shot of St. Joe's when Patrick
1: Swayze is in the hospital. It's at health Center, Is that what that was? I didn't look at the St. Joe's part. Or maybe I took for granted it was supposed to be in Thunder Bay. Was that meant to be in Thunder Bay at that stage when well, he got injured? Well, that's where the
0: game was when he got slew-footed. Was it? Okay, so I guess that should have been in Thunder Bay then. But I think the exterior was actually St. Joe's Hospital okay. in Toronto. When I saw that, I thought of, oh, this is the Hamilton Mustang, St. Joseph's Hospital. Ryan, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about Hamilton hospitals this year. So
1: <laughs> One of the reasons why Chris missed an episode or two, Hamilton Health Issues. Yeah, that's right. So we can talk meta, being Canadians, and I am born and raised Hamilton.
0: I think this is going to be quite a meta episode given its setting and everything. We haven't
1: done hockey in a while either. It was last, I think, March when we did our 100th episode, Money Ducks 2. Was that the last time we... I think so. There aren't that many hockey movies. I've Googled it before to see what options we have. And there are some more, but I don't really care about doing some of them. No. And this was one I was always curious about because I know I saw it, did not remember much about it, but could never find it. It happened to be on YouTube for free. And we both saw it that way. Pretty good print. I'm not saying it was a movie I had to see, but there aren't that many other hockey options anymore. I know you had said you'd watched it when you were young or you mm-hmm. thought you had, but you didn't have any recollections. I remember or... two things. One is the thing my cousin loved and tried to do when we played hockey, whether it be street hockey or ice hockey and kick the puck up or the ball up when yeah, you're playing okay. street hockey to your stick on a breakaway or a penalty shot or something, yep. which Lowe does. And the other thing is the slew foot. You remember the slew foot scene mm-hmm. when he takes out Sutton specifically. Yep. Well, I actually don't remember it was Swayze that got hurt, but I knew somebody did. Yeah. And then, actually, the third thing, there are three things, is the, whatever you want to call it, lancing with the hockey sticks. Because Bev even asked me, she saw the last little bit of the movie with me. Yeah. And wondered, did they actually do that? And I said, I don't really think so. OHL 80s, it's not impossible, I guess, because I don't know. But it seems unlikely that even referees allow people to fight, they let them do that. I guess I should say, A, I had never seen this movie. I'd never heard of this movie
0: until you proposed it. I'm happy we watched it, actually, because it is an interesting artifact of the 80s that has... Young Keanu, young Patrick Swayze, young Rob Lowe. Crap, what's her name? Cynthia Gibb. Cynthia Gibb, yeah. Ed Lauder, the coach. Ed Lauder, yep. And the
1: actress that plays the boarding house. I don't know if you pronounce it Fanula Flanagan. I don't know. Because she's Irish. I think it's Fanula. Anyway, she is Mrs. Faraday. What's her name? Daniel Faraday's mother in Lost. Yes. And in this, yes, you're talking about 20 years earlier. But when she basically makes him have sex with her, He could do worse. Could do worse. She looked great. Yeah, it's an interesting cast. And that was a funny scene. And
0: before you would even watch the movie, I said to you, that's the scene I had to rewind and watch again. Not because there's anything explicit in that scene. There's absolutely Mm. not. She just pours some tea, sits down and is talking and basically takes off her shirt. But she's wearing a nightgown or a shift. There's no nudity, even. But it's audio after that. It's audio after that. But it's just such a funny sequence of scenes in my mind because it followed so closely on the scene of Rob Lowe getting a little bit of light hazing. He gets his pubes shaved. Mm -hmm. I can't separate my thought process from Mrs. whatever her name was. Mills, isn't it? Miss McGill. Miss McGill, right. So I can't separate myself from Miss McGill stripping down young Rob Lowe, who I guess is supposed to be 17 in this movie, which I didn't realize until I read some things after watching it. I think they said it during the film. And I looked it up because I was curious.
1: He was actually 20. He was actually 20. But But he was supposed to be 17.
0: If they ever actually say his explicit age in this movie, I missed it. And I assumed he was 18, 19, which I think is quite a common age for the OHL these days anyway. This is a young man who is freshly groomed, Mm -hmm. head to toe. What does she make of that? Well, I don't think they did a very specifically good job on
1: his pube trimming.
0: Yeah, but then that means one of two things is true. Either they butchered it, in which case, who the hell knows what he's going on down there, and she's got to question that. Or Rob Lowe's character was like, well, I can't leave myself like this. I've got to clean it all up now because it, be. it looks ridiculous. In which case, Miss McGill still has to figure out what's going on there. She's fucking a baby. Yeah. Or a doll. <laughs> now, the other thing that did come to mind later, though, as I clearly pondered this scene way too long... <laughs> Was that if this was the usual hazing routine for this team, and the team all billet with her when they're rookies. They've all it, been with her, it sounds They've like. all been with her, and they probably all had the same pube shave job done before being with her. So maybe she's just like, yeah, this is just the Mustang thing. If he had hair, get him out of here. Yeah, exactly. She's really into the clean shaven look now. I don't know. As an artifact of the 80s, as something that is meant to take place in Hamilton, but I'm fairly confident was shot in Toronto
1: Mm -hmm. and in some instances very close to us what's near to me especially is a five or six minute walk called Ted Reeve Arena I guess that's where they shot the hockey scenes and when I looked up the locations before I even started watching the movie to write them down in case you'd ever ask me because you did that way back when we started doing the podcast and I didn't know so I've always written down the locations where the movie shot in case they matter (laughs) something unusual did I do that to you (laughs) a long time ago years ago but when I saw Ted Reeve Arena I thought where do I know that from I Googled it. I walk by there a lot when I go to the local library. You mean when you go there today? So in this area in East York? Main and Danforth is right near there. Main no, and Gerard, really.
0: Main and Girard is where this place is. I didn't recognize that, but I don't typically go to that area. But the one that stuck out to me like a sore thumb is when Cynthia Gibbs' character is coming out of the theater. Rob Lowe runs into her. That's the Donlands Theater, which is right by us. It's not a theater anymore. Like a lot of these independent theaters in Toronto, over the last okay. 20, 30 years, it got converted into something else, which was a recording studio. But it's essentially O'Connor and Don I
1: recognize that. Okay.
0: Totally disinteresting to anybody that doesn't specifically live (laughs) in East York of Toronto. But I was like, oh, this is cool. That's like a five blocks away from me kind Mm -hmm. of thing. If you live in Toronto, you see movies being filmed or TV... All
1: the vans and stuff. I work downtown. I see it a lot. Yeah,
0: it's everywhere downtown, right? It's everywhere around cemeteries. It's everywhere around certain areas of the city. But what blew me away is when I started recognizing these places in these little residential areas of a part of the city that I never see any recording
1: happening. So Mm, kind of neat, especially from a movie that's 35-ish years old. All right. Well, when this movie came out was January 31st, 1986. MGM and UA released it. It made $15 bucks at the domestic box office, but it's a little surprising that more people didn't go to see a Rob Lowe movie after St. Elmo's Fire, and Patrick Swayze was coming off of Red Dawn, and they both had recently been in The Outsiders. Yeah. Again,
0: a movie I'd never heard of. I'm not of the same level of movie knowledge that you are, but especially when it comes to sports movies, I see a lot of these, and I've gone back and watched a lot of movies from the 80s, so I was shocked when... I saw the cast list, especially the Swayze, Lowe, and to a lesser degree, Cynthia Gibb piece of it. Because I know Keanu at this point was a nobody, and he basically doesn't show up in this movie except for like three lines. He basically has some lines in the bar scene where he has a bad yeah. accent, and I don't think he ever speaks again, does he? I think there's one other line where the accent, you don't notice it. He might have just set the line and they kept it, but it has enough well-known, young, pretty bankable people in it. That, that you it should have been on your radar more? Yeah. How many times have we talked about movies where this was a good movie or a movie with a bankable star and we weren't aware of it or were barely aware of Bad it? Bad marketing, man. Bad marketing. And it just might be one of those things, again, where it's a sports movie. They made it for some reason but decided it was a real niche market so we're not going to promote it all that much and it just doesn't get the same amount of press, which is a shame because I think there's a lot to be said that's positive about this movie. To me, it's a little bit of a tale of two movies. A lot of it I liked, and then elements of it, especially in the back 30 or something of it, I thought were less good. But for a group of very young actors and what I assume is a reasonably low budget and probably Canadian production, I thought there was a lot of positive to it.
1: So I'm shocked that there wasn't more buzz. I don't think it was a Canadian production per se. Keanu would be at least part of the Canadian content you'd have to have to shoot up here. I'm not sure anybody else of the major cast is Canadian, though. Well, the critics didn't like it very much. Only 44% of them gave it a positive review, or have given a positive review. 45 really? out of ten is the average. Only nine reviews are on the site, though. Hmm. Roger Ebert, I read his review a couple of hours ago, only gave it two stars. His biggest problem was it's cliche. He appreciated that Rob Lowe is pretty convincing as a hockey player, and I think he is. For a guy who'd never played, or I think even skated before. Yeah, he never skated. Patrick either, Swayze knew about figure skating, but not about ice skating. Right. Actually, I think Lowe looks more convincing than Swayze does. I kind of thought so, too. But they're yeah. both on skates a lot in this movie, or somebody is doubling them. And if it's a lot of doubling, it's not obvious. The sports action, we'll say right now, is actually pretty solid at the very least, if not pretty damn good. And yeah. a lot of the time, it's really artily done. Mark Irwin, who became Cronenberg's guy, or remember he already was Cronenberg's guy, his cinematographer, he made the movie really moody a lot of the time in the rink scenes. Reminded me yeah. sometimes of Raging Bull, a movie you're not a big fan of. But Scorsese will often have in that movie things that don't make sense in a boxing ring. For one thing, it being as dark as it was. It was dark in Boxing Rings back in that time frame, but not that dark. And then you'd have things where it looks like the guys are in hell. Well, the very opening scene with Rob Lowe, really smoky arena. He's by himself yeah. practicing. It's slow motion. It isn't realistic at all. So they're going for art, obviously, over realistic stuff. Yeah. But the hockey, for the most part, is realistic. And the two guys who get the most screen time, Lowe and Swayze, believable enough, I
0: thought the same thing. I agree with you just as a general principle about what you said about the way the sport is recorded. That particular scene, though, I had to rewind a few times because my first impression was, why is there so much steam in this Mm -hmm. arena? But then I realized it has to be him skating in an outdoor arena because there's a truck parked right there with its lights beaming onto him as he's skating. Why didn't I notice that? It took me two or three rewatches because I couldn't figure out why is it so bloody foggy inside. I think it's supposed to be just an effect though anyway. Just the idea of being I, that I like so. to make it look cool. It is just an opening montage of him meant to be like skating around by himself getting some drills in or whatever. So yes, that is true. As far as the action itself, just in general, I agree. It was pretty well done. I thought Keanu Reeves was the best of the bunch. He was a goaltender. He was called The Wall. Yeah. He looked like he knew how to play in net, which made a lot of sense. Hockey's a tough one, right? Because A, it's very fast. Mm-hmm. B, of course, you're on ice. And to try to coordinate action in a way that even stunt people could pull off while looking like the actors at speed in the way you need, it's hard, right? No, so, he's not about than Miracle. No, probably not. For all my issues with movies like Miracle, I agree with you that the hockey action was great. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been the first actual game that we see Dean Youngblood play. There's a defenseman for whatever team they're playing against at that point. Might be the Marlies, the Toronto Marlboros. It wasn't against them. It might have actually been against Thunder Bay the first time they played them before they met them in that three-game series. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But the point man, they make a point of cutting to him. And he winds up for the slap shot and lets it fly. And then it cuts to the opposite angle. So you're seeing the netminder yeah. And the puck is very slowly going wide of the net and then is tipped in by a winger. But it's so slow. I'm thinking, oh, it's like in slow motion right now. But then you see the net move at full speed. I'm like, oh, that's not slow motion. It's just the puck moving really slowly as if somebody nudged it with their foot. <laughs> but otherwise, I thought it was good. And I think the thing that impressed me more than the on-ice stuff was really the fact that this movie seemed to be interested in knowing what goes into the game itself. How many times have we complained about movies that were meant to be about a sport, but the writers seemed totally disinterested in even the most basic elements of that sport? This is a movie about 1980s hockey, junior hockey in Ontario specifically. Right. We're talking about a sport 40 years on that has evolved, so maybe things were different then. And they're
1: supposed to basically be kids. Exactly. A young man,
0: anyway. You have to judge it from that perspective as well. But I have to give the movie a lot of credit, because it felt like whoever wrote this, and I'm
1: sure you'll tell us... It's the director, Peter Markle.
0: Oh, it is. Okay, so it felt like he took the time. If he didn't already just know this from his upbringing and his experience... He's got
1: hockey experience. Okay,
0: so there you go. So it's somebody that knew the sport, and you get that from the locker room stuff, and you get that from the dialogue mm-hmm. i have issues with some of that and we're going to talk about it but this is a person writing and directing this movie that knows the sport and just that alone for me that's half the battle yeah. now i feel like i'm watching something that's at least semi-authentic to its subject matter
1: i'm bought in a little bit more you know yeah okay if i didn't finish by the way the rotten tomatoes and all that i think i said maybe i didn't 68 of audiences so they are a fresh tomato it was 57th at the box office that year in 86. That was a big year for sports movies. The Karate Kid Part Two was number four. We covered that, well, we'll say last year now. We're recording this in 2022, but this goes up in 2023. So last year, The Color of Money, one of our first ever podcasts, was 12th, and Hoosiers was 35th. And I didn't write it down, but Lucas was out that year. We covered that a couple of years ago. That was a big year for sports films. This, by the way, played in more theaters than any movie the weekend it opened, but was still only fourth. <laughs> so I don't think it lasted very long. So it had a big opening too? Mm-hmm wow or an opportunity to have a big opening yeah it was probably facing off against a lot of the prestige Oscar movies that came out in late 85 not big opening necessarily but wide release it felt like this was not a movie that was ever
0: advertised to the degree that I ever became aware of it so I would have then thought okay they don't advertise it much
1: maybe limited release no it was a wide release but it's also at the end of January which I think even then was thought of as a graveyard time to release movies One thing about this movie is family, because you've got the cliche, and part of what Ebert was saying in his review is that, oh God, the coach has got to have a daughter that the main character is interested in and ends up sleeping with. But also you've got his family, his father and his brother back home. His brother was Chuck in Footloose, who I believe is the antagonist for Kevin Bacon. Because when you click on his profile, the picture is him on a tractor in Footloose. So I think it's, I didn't look that closely, (laughs) I think it's him. But he plays the brother, he had a hockey career, and then the father towards the end reveals he did too. All those things do feel like cliches, and yet I think the three sure. of them make it work pretty well. Yeah. And the fact that we go back to the farm for a little while, another cliche, though, I've had enough, I'm out of here. And actually, A League of Their Own stole this movie's beginning of the third act, I should say, when Lowe goes back during the playoffs, because that's what Gina Davis does. She mm-hmm. leaves during the World Series and goes back for the last game. He leaves during that three-game series and comes back for the last game. But somewhere in there, he trains to learn how to be a fighter and to learn how to be tougher and to just train in general. I don't know how many days it's supposed to be that he went all the way back to America, wherever this is. Yeah. And then he gets driven back to Hamilton, and he was leaving Thunder Bay, which is a 15-hour drive from Hamilton. I agree. It's kind of cliche, but I also agree it kind of works.
0: When it comes to the family farm thing, though... When Roblo goes back to the farm, I get I don't want to be working in a mill, working in a farm my whole life like everyone else in a small town. We've watched a bunch of movies where that was the premise for the main character wanting to get into a sport. Rudy. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, okay, fine. It's a cliche. But when Roblo goes back to the farm, he is a terrible farmer. <laughs> he can barely feed the chickens. He's trying to fix the roof and he falls off the roof. He's well, the fix- hammer does, but yeah. He's fixing the fence with his brother and gets his hand caught on the barbed wire. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, go play hockey, man, because this is not for you. (laughs) Holy hell. You're right. His brother steps up after berating him for bailing the way he does, Mm -hmm. which, frankly, I thought was fair. I get that your buddy got hurt and slew foot, but how does it help anybody for you to up and bail on your team and go Mm -hmm. back home? Shouldn't the impulse be the win it for the Gipper kind of thing just go out there and beat the hell
1: out of the other team which is what he ends up doing what he doesn't say and maybe Peter Markle thought he was being subtle with this it could be what happens in Rocky 3 we bring up Rocky almost every podcast it seems but in Rocky 3 on the beach I'm afraid you want to break me down you want to hear me say I'm afraid it could be that Dean is just afraid of getting hurt the way that Derek Sutton did I think you're probably right that we're meant to
0: understand that. But like you just said, we talk about Rocky movies a lot. And for me, one of the more emotionally poignant moments of Rocky 3 is when Rocky, the toughest guy of them all, admits that. So I think it's actually an emotionally effective thing. Even if Dean isn't meant to be like a big, tough guy, he's been shown to be reasonably fearless because he did stand up to fight. What's his name? Racky? Rocky. Earlier in the movie. And he got his block knocked off essentially mm-hmm. real quick. But he wasn't scared his brother steps up to him and says, what are you doing? you punk. Why'd you run out on your team? And he says, I'm scared. Okay. Then I feel like that's an emotional bonding moment, not one where the director should be thinking, oh, I'm going to be cute about this and real subtle because frankly, it's not a subtle movie anyway. That's true. If we step past that and we get into the brother training Rob Lowe stuff, we're basically over the span of Game 1 to Game 3 here that we're covering. So let's say generously a week if they have a bunch of off days between That's a games. lot of
1: off days, but yeah, okay.
0: I'll be generous. It's probably more like three days, but let's say five or seven. You get back to the farm. You've been working for a bit. Your brother comes to this realization, starts training you. How long are you training for? A day? Two days? Mm-hmm. We see him doing a lot of bench pressing, sit-ups. Getting strong now mm. without the... Gonna skate now. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of Six Pack with Kenny Rogers getting trained Mm -hmm. by the kids. Like, dude, you got forty-eight hours before the race. Just eat your pizza. It's not gonna matter (laughs) any or your KFC in that movie. And I felt the same way here. I'm like, what are you training so much for? And especially when his brother was like, Okay, here's a speed bag. Now you gotta time it this way. Why are you training him with a speed bag? I mean, (laughs) at least when his dad comes around to that whole realization moment where he's like, Oh, you played hockey too, Pops? Why don't you tell me that early? And he's showing him, grab the sweater. Which he needs to know for the Racky thing. Yeah, that makes some sense at least, right? Because that's a useful skill that you can learn in, I guess, a shortish period of time. You're never going to become the same kind of tough guy that Racky is in 48 hours, 72 hours, or a week. But at least if you know to grab somebody for balance, you know to hold on when you're throwing a punch, that's more useful than a bloody speed bag.
1: Mm. And we've talked before about how hard fighting in hockey must be because of standing on skates anyway is hard enough. But then you've got to do something that's so unnatural. Playing hockey is tough, and neither of us are very good skaters, No, but the idea of taking a blow to your face, throwing one at the guy, repeatedly, in fact, but also not just wiping out, rarely do you see fighters do that. One of the impressive things about their job, I don't know how they stay standing. Grabbing each other's jerseys helps, but still. That's why so many
0: fights do end with one guy slipping and the other guy falling, and then the refs break it up. You don't get the jousting with sticks surrounded by a ring of players (laughs) and referees watching for five minutes. If you consider the fight training and leading into the final game, this is a player that bailed on the team after game one of this three-game series and doesn't, I guess, communicate with the coach in the interim, doesn't show up beforehand, shows up at Pucktrop,
1: effectively. Yeah, why are you so late if you want to be back there?
0: Yeah, we hear the announcer reading out the scratches for he's the still in the street clothes. Yeah, and we hear Rob Lowe's character's name read out, so he's scratched from the lineup, and he knocks on the door expecting to play. I'm like, what kind of privileged view do you have that you can just show back up and be allowed to play? Now, of course... He's the lead character of the movie, That's so he does.
1: And Derek also steps up for him.
0: And then that leads me to the final thing that you mentioned in that whole synopsis was my biggest disappointment with this movie, and maybe where I fall most in line with Roger Ebert, maybe it's less cliche, more machismo expectation, but Dean Youngblood is the fast skilled player and he's surrounded by a bunch of players in this league that are more physical right Mm -hmm. kind of like Semenko and Gretzky 80s Oilers right you had Gretzky that was super fast and skilled he would never fight Mm -hmm. the world would end before Gretzky (laughs) would try to fight anybody and rightfully so because you can break your hand punching somebody bare fisted right and if you're the skilled player on a team you don't want that your team doesn't
1: want that well also you're off the ice if you get a five minute major for fighting
0: exactly so it makes no sense And so for the entirety of this movie, basically, we avoid that with Dean. So when we get the fight training at the farm, I'm starting to think, don't do it because it doesn't make sense. And then Sutton steps up in the locker room on Dean's behalf, gets into the coach's ear, fine. But then he turns around to Dean and says, forget about him, win the game. Win the fucking game. (laughs) Right. Which he does, but he still gets to right. get so, revenge at the end. So the perfect ending, well, maybe not perfect, but a good ending to the movie is the penalty shot that scores the winning goal and he walks off, gives Racky the stink eye and Racky's just left frustrated that he's not able to fight or whatever. That's a good ending. You had the ending. Mm-hmm. This whole extended sequence after that with the stick jousting
1: and the fighting, that was needless and silly. I think also if you get into any kind of brawl after a game or before... There are major repercussions, almost more so than during a game. Didn't that happen in the NHL one time where it was a warm-up and the two teams didn't like each other from before and they started to brawl because the referees aren't on the ice yet, Yeah. referee and linesman at least? And I think those teams were punished more than people thought they would be because it was not in the frame of the game, which is bad enough when you do some of the things that happen, even in modern professional hockey, never mind 80s amateur OHL hockey. But you do it after the game, I think the same kind of thing would happen. Now, yes, the season's over. They just won the championship. But you think that he'd be punished somehow long-term. We don't find that out, but he probably should be. Yep. And certainly Racky should, too. Racky's only ever called for one penalty, despite all the dirty play, and that leads least the penalty shot. The this referee must be in the can for this team. Because even then, he has to think about it for a while. All right, fine, hooking, <laughs> penalty shot. What? I didn't do anything. You've done many things.
0: Did you see the exaggerated trip that Racky mm. pulled on that? It's not that he just got the stick in the skates of Youngblood. He like gets him in the skates and then flings his stick up over his head when he's tripping him. You're not subtle. Why are you surprised by this? I took it the same way you did about the ref. Yeah, this guy's got to be in somebody's pocket because the number of penalties that should have been called, the number of game misconducts that should have been called, the number of suspensions that should have occurred is outrageous. Hewitt
1: is punished for what he did in protecting yeah. Derek. How? <laughs> but then did you notice, by the way, that when the big brawl is happening, the jousting and then the actual fight, he's on the ice. Oh my the God. guy playing he is standing in the background on the ice in his street clothes. And maybe we could say the game's over. That's why he can be on the ice. But it seemed like a mistake on the part of the filmmaker. that <laughs> He's standing right there in yeah. the background. I but did. he's punished and no one else is. Which is nuts. Like you mentioned
0: with punishments for stuff that happens after or before a game. I think that's absolutely true. Again, with the caveat that we're talking about 80s junior hockey. And we did get the one line early in the movie that I think is meant to gloss over a lot of this when one of the Mustangs players says, oh, look, it's Blind Man, whatever the referee's name is. Three Blind Mice. Or three Blind Mice, yeah. So I think the implication is that these guys, A, maybe just don't call penalties, or B, they don't call penalties against this team that the Mustangs are playing against. I don't know. There was a couple of different brawls in this game that occur not before or after the game, but bench-clearing-type brawls, yeah. people fighting with people on the bench the second you leave a bench and you go to fight somebody, you will be you're suspended, right? For at like, least a game, probably a lot more. Yeah. You're done for the game and you're probably getting suspended. It's been that way as long as I can remember watching the sport, which is at least 30 plus years now. There was a
1: World Juniors thing where Canada and Russia were big rivals. Russia was going to lose out in a game to Canada and be eliminated from the thing. And they go to the Canadians into a brawl. Yeah. And I think they left their bench. Russia did. And I always remember the visual of one of the coaches, maybe the head coach, pulling a guy. Who's trying to jump on the ice by his sweater and managed to then pull him back down on the bench. Must have hurt the guy, the young guy, and falling. But almost everybody else got out there, and then Canada, I think, was kicked out of the tournament. Russia was the Racky of the situation, and Canada was the Hamilton Mustangs.
0: That kind of stuff happens in reality, but for a movie like this, that feels like it's knowledgeable about the sport, about the relationships in the locker room, all that kind of stuff felt reasonably genuine to me. But then there were so many of these weird little idiosyncrasies on the ice that felt... More like it belonged in a movie like Slapshot that's a little bit more slapsticky. This mm-hmm. movie is a pretty heartfelt, genuine drama. It's not about over-the-top slapsticky stuff There's happening. There's very the little
1: case. humor of any kind in it. I don't think it's I laughed like, at all.
0: I don't think so either. Maybe a little bit when I realized that they were shaving young blood's pubes instead of the eyebrows of the head like I assumed was going to be the case at the mm-hmm. beginning. Just because it was so silly. Well, the scene at the
1: bar where they're all messing around and the teeth go into that's the... That's kind of dumb, too, yeah. The Caesar, that's supposed to be funny, at least.
0: Yeah. This is a movie that is also kind of obsessed. This is why I bring it up. is because we see so many scenes with fighting, with physicality. And I understand this is 80s hockey, right? And there's a big premium place on physical play. But at the same time, the biggest stars in the game, Gretzky's already a megastar at this point. Yeah, Lemieux is, I think, a rookie in the NHL at this point. We have Gordy Howe referenced in this movie, and he was the quintessential skill guy that would also drop the gloves. But his prototype of player was not the player of the 80s necessarily, unless you talk about like a Bobby Clark kind of guy maybe. But more or less you had skill guys and then you had protectors and enforcers. And for some reason, this movie is obsessed with players being both, and yes. in particular Youngblood. It at one time is glorifying fighting, but then at various other points seems to villainize it a little bit. Youngblood's brother, who was injured badly playing hockey, and his career was ended. His eyesight was messed up. And did you notice, by the way, that his eyes are different colors? Yeah, heterochromia. Right. Matt Scherzer, the pitcher, has that. That's right. I don't know if we're meant to understand that's from fighting, because we're later told this brother was a bit of an enforcer. I think that's supposed to be the idea. I think so, too. And later we get Cynthia Gibb talking to young blood where they're talking about her father's career in the nhl with the rangers who was a bruiser who was a bruiser but then she makes a point of saying hey you know he wasn't just a goon he wasn't just an enforcer he could score and she tells a story about him scoring this goal at the all-star game she watched you're not wanting us to glorify fighting then why do you then turn around and spend so much time fixating on fighting including the the finale including the finale it seemed at
1: odds with itself at various points that way yeah well, this is basically half a sports movie and half a love story. Yeah. I mentioned before they had a sweaty sex scene. Can we are talk about that for a second? covered in liquid? <laughs> Obviously, it's supposed to be sweat. I don't know why. Maybe it's right by the fire that may be part of it, but they are so hot.
0: Did you see the mattress at one point when they roll over and there's a literal puddle? Well, there was the water mattress.
1: poured because he's jokingly not giving her the water. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what I saw. He then. pours it on his face like a hockey player would after they drink some and then try to cool themselves off. Oh, I see. Okay. I missed that. And of course, Miss McGill walks in and sees that and it seems like she's jealous, but then I don't think we ever see her again after that. Seems like she could have been mad about that, but then she probably realizes <laughs> there'll be another guy coming down the line next year. Yeah. So she's the Annie from Bull Durham that does this every year with the young guys. And this guy's way too young for her, but then again, he could have done worse. That sex yeah. scene is pretty good. I don't love the romance between the two of them. I think it's fine, but just feel like we've seen this kind of thing many times before. Just going to pop this real quick. <laughs> Chris just popped his can of Diet Dr. Pepper. We didn't talk about beverages. I've got water. You had tea, now you got pop. No alcohol for us tonight or dead cold silver here at the end of almost the end of December right before Christmas but the love story is all about two pretty people the prettiest person in this whole movie is certainly Rob Lowe Cynthia Gibb looks good but Rob Lowe is the prettiest and probably the third prettiest if not second prettiest is Patrick Swayze but that leads me into the nutshell because I'm going to quote I mentioned Raging Bull already Gennaro the fighter that what is it Joe Pesci's wife says is good looking all that stuff Or maybe that's a scene in Goodfellas. Anyway, this whole thing about the Gennaro fighter in the Raging Bull is supposed to be this handsome young man and then Jake LaMotta beats the shit out of him so badly that they cut to the guy who played coach on Cheers saying, he ain't so pretty no more. Well... That's the nutshell, because that's what happened to Swayze when he gets slew footed and he looks terrible in the hospital. It's pretty, I guess, accurate to what it would have happened to him. Yeah. He's got a steel plate in his head. And then when he shows up at the end with the bandage on his head, I thought at first of his blood coming out of it. I didn't realize it was just pink with the tape or something <laughs> back there. I had a note I had written out with that. Why is he bleeding still? It's been a few days. What kind of hospital service is this? But it was just that it was pink and you can see it different from behind. But he does look bad and he should look he bad. Does, yeah. And maybe his hockey life is over. That's another one of those things I would have liked a little bit
0: more closure from the movie on is Sutton's ultimate fate because this is a grievous looking injury, but he's on his feet and at the game Mm -hmm. a few days after the injury occurs. oh, Not as grievous as we originally thought. He's not paralyzed or anything like that. No, he's moving around fine. He's not on crutches or anything. Yeah, bad head injury and that's serious stuff. But is this the end of his career? Because our understanding of Sutton early on is that this is a guy that never graduated from high school. His only career ambition is hockey, A, because he loves it, and he says so a few times. He would never have bailed if something like that happened to Youngblood. Well, that's the other thing that sort of annoyed me about that particular plot twist. But we know his only path to a future is is hockey, is the NHL. I scored 91 goals before you even joined the team, Youngblood. I don't need you feeding me the puck. And he gets a few more before he's hurt. This is a prolific scorer, a skilled guy. What happened to him? And we don't know. I guess maybe you can make the argument it doesn't matter either, but it feels unfinished a little bit that way. I got to turn around for a second and reverse course back to that sex scene between Rob Lowe and Cynthia Gibb. Just because the sweatiness of it was so extreme Mm. so quickly, you have Rob Lowe and Cynthia Gibb getting down to business, and then it cuts to Miss McGill making tea because that's her move, right? She brings tea to the boys staying with her and then gets it on with them. Mm. So we see Miss McGill preparing tea, and so it of cuts back and forth. Yeah, Cross cutting. Yeah. Cross cutting. How long would it make somebody to boil tea, put it in the teapot, get all that stuff together, and walk upstairs? Maybe 10 minutes, tops. <laughs> so from the start to at most 10 minutes later, Rob Lowe and Cynthia Gibb just bucketing an absurd mm-hmm. amount of sweat. <laughs> wow, guys, you went hard. And you went hard fast, <laughs> apparently,
1: because how else do you sweat that much, that quickly? And this would have been set, I guess, in the winter, or yeah. at least the, maybe early spring. But it was shot in July. So <laughs> maybe they were just legitimately sweating. <laughs> and they just... are in front of the fire. It is meant to be in an attic kind of room, too, so the heat rises. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just legitimately like 110 mm-hmm. degrees in there, and they were dying filming this scene. It seems like this scene would fit better in our next movie, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Oh, yes. Because it does seem like a parody of a sex scene. It
0: really does. I know I mentioned this a lot in the movies we covered, how sweaty people are just immediately. Mm -hmm. Although I did reverse course on that a little bit after we watched... With uh, boxing, we learned that they are training backstage and getting loosened up. Fair enough. But I have to clarify, this is not Stallone in Rocky level sweaty. This is legitimately parody level sweaty. You could almost see squirts of water coming (laughs) from behind their heads and stuff. In fairness, they play that at other times in this movie too... And at times it's almost effective, like the scene in the locker room after the first period of the first game in this three-game series, when I think Youngblood was benched, Mm -hmm. right? Because this is
1: when the coach... He looks like he hasn't done anything. (laughs) Bone dry. He should be a little sweaty because they always warm up. Everybody skates around. Everybody warms up. He looks like he just put the uniform on and sat down and did not move for an hour.
0: I don't think it's meant to be funny, but I did find that a little Mm -hmm. bit amusing, just a sheer contrast. And in that scene, Ed Lauder's reaming the team out about how badly they're playing. I'm like, oh, are they down 2 nothing, 3 nothing after one? It was zeros. Yeah. It was tied. <laughs> Dude, rein it in. What are you going to do if you legitimately start losing the game? Where do you go from here? You're already at a 10. How
1: do you get any higher than this? <laughs> and it was only the first game, I think, right? Yeah,
0: the first intermission of the first game in a tie game, and he's reading the act. And This is the
1: Memorial Cup, too. They're obviously a pretty good team if they got this far. We don't really get a good
0: sense of the relative capability of the Mustangs when Youngblood joins them. We're not shown standings. We're made to understand, I guess, it's mid-season. They've lost the players, so they need to recruit somebody. But it's not like the Mighty Ducks, where we know they're god-awful. It's not like Rudy, where we know Notre Dame's the king of the hill in football. We just assume they're pretty good, because we're told later on that they're in the playoffs. And we see players like Sutton, who have scored 91 goals. So, mm. But yeah, by the time they're in the Memorial Cup, they must be a reasonably good team. What ultimately amused me about that rant more than anything else is after Youngblood bails on the team, he goes back to the farm and he's having that fight with his brother. He's reading Rob Lowe, the riot act. He's the know, best coach in the league. He's the best coach in the league. I'm like, hold on here, buddy. What did we just see in the locker room in that first intermission? That was not best coach in the league material. <laughs> he's also telling his team, who are clearly a bunch of mostly skilled guys against Sutton's gold count we know, Youngblood we know, your advantage is speed and ability, Right. Chadwick's telling his team, "I want to see you out there checking them in the boards." That's like telling Wayne Gretzky, "Go check Marty McSorley." No, cuz now you're playing into the strength of the other team and you're abandoning your own team's strengths. That's terrible coaching. And then two scenes later, his brother's like, "He's the best there is. He knows how to win." I don't know. Everything
1: I've seen from this character is pretty poor coaching so far. Like he's the warden in the Longest Yard remake. Well, anyway, he's definitely in both the Longest Yards, though. i got that down here in my notes. He's also in Seabiscuit, Ed Lauder is. He's got a small role in Talladega Nights also, so he's done a lot of sports movies in his career. I'm just trying to picture who he is in Talladega Nights now, because that's a movie I know reasonably well, and I well, can't... Well, I'm right can't. near it now. Let's see. He's John Hennepin, uncredited. That does nothing for me. Yeah, okay, fair enough. fair enough. We covered that so long ago. <laughs> well, the hockey action ends with a penalty shot. Well, there's three seconds left, but the penalty shot does give Dean the hat trick, and they win 3-2, to two. And I mentioned that A League of Their Own stole the, I'm going to go back there during the playoff stuff, because mm-hmm. I can't leave it like this, and then accept it with open arms. We don't know how the players feel about, it in either situation, A League of Their Own or this movie. I guess they obviously accepted it. What are they going to do? Except mm-hmm. Sutton. We know Sutton's
0: cool, because we get the heartfelt Right. Okay, so one person in But the in general, movies. you're right. We don't know how the team feels.
1: Because they have a right to be upset, even though they did lose a great player who basically sulked in both cases. Yeah, you walked out on us. Where the hell were you in game yeah, two, right? No how much we need you. Yeah. And Mighty Duck stole the very ending, though, because that's also a penalty shot. The game is actually over. There's not three seconds left. Yeah. But I wouldn't have thought Youngblood would be stolen from two far better movies, especially <laughs> A League of Their Own, which is quite good. Bev and I covered that already, which is why you and I never have. This is an interesting thing, right? If Ebert's saying you didn't like this movie primarily
0: because it's a cliche,
1: mm-hmm.
0: well, apparently it set the cliche precedent going forward for other movies. Mm-hmm. Did he feel similarly about League of Their Own? Or Maybe it was a 92
1: thing. This was both in 1992. This movie just the six
0: year had, rule. <laughs> had a, a resurgence in 1992 and everyone saw it and just cribbed from it. Who knows? I would have been perfectly happy if the penalty shot was the end. Because frankly, what the coach was saying to Youngblood at that point was perfectly
1: sensible. And what we heard from Derek, don't fight this idiot. Just mm-hmm. win the game. And then he, he makes... Well, the coach tries to make him come off the ice, but he insists on staying on yeah. He says he wants to fight the guy.
0: Which is silly and doesn't make any sense. So I would have been perfectly happy if it ended with the penalty shot. But that said... I hate it when team sports end games in a non-team way. But the penalty shot is part of the game, so you can
1: live with that. I can live with that because it is a penalty called. And if a po- it's one-on-one in a game, that should be six-on-six.
0: Yeah, and in a hockey sense, it bothers me more when you play through overtime than you go to a shootout. That I hate. At least in this case, it was a penalty being called, mm. but I still would have preferred it if Youngblood had scored the hat trick. Maybe on a breakaway with only Racky back and he stick handles around, Racky scores the goal or something. I think to me that would have felt a little bit better because it feels like winning a game on free throws in basketball or something. You've just played 60 minutes of a game as a team and one guy is going to take a shot to win or lose. It feels unsatisfying to me.
1: And Peter Markle, the way he shoots it, he makes it seem like if the puck hadn't dropped and stayed past the goal line, it wouldn't have counted. But we see that it hits, I think, the net above the top of the net. Well, once the puck is past the goal line in mm-hmm. its entirety, it's a goal.
0: So regardless of whether it's sitting on end and then flops forward mm-hmm. and goes on the other side of the goal line, it's already crossed it
1: once. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore. Because since they brought replay, and sometimes they appeal and think, did it hit the goal post? And right. It come straight back out. And sometimes they will show that extra slow motion shot. And you'll see the puck went inside and it hit the post. But inside, it came right back out the same way as yeah. if it hit the outside of the post. And then the goal counts. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had the same thought in mind when I was watching that sequence. That don't shot. dwell on this. It like, already why, counted.
0: Yeah, why are you dwelling on this? It
1: doesn't matter anymore it's in the net he scored it's good for a guy who knows hockey peter markle i'm a little bit surprised he developed on that by the way so he did write and direct this he also directed john candy's last movie wagons east oh really which i don't know if i've ever seen or not but mostly did tv but here's what i love about this so he's peter markle i said right Mm -hmm. he was one of the producers this movie is the peter producers movie though because it's him peter bart peter goober and john peters (laughs) we're all involved as producers (laughs) that's weird it is weird (laughs) Bard and Goober and Peters, I think maybe all three of them, or at least two of them, are involved in Batman a couple years later on, too. Mm-hmm. So they did some huge movies before that decade was over. Rob Lowe, I didn't say it yet. I've been saying it for so long since Bev and I finished finally catching up on Parks and Rec years after everybody else. But literally, <laughs> I try to find a way to re- work in literally in my or literally, literally in my dialogue on a regular basis. He was in a movie called Breakaway in 2011, which I've never seen. guess mm-hmm. it's a hockey movie. Hasn't made many movies lately, though, mostly TV. And, of course, Parks and Rec isn't that long ago. Cynthia Gibb that same year was in Salvador with James Woods. A good movie, actually. Did a whack of TV, including playing Holly on Fame. But you seemed like you recognized her. I didn't really recognize her. I guess I, I saw Salvador, but it's been a long time. Well, I know I saw Salvador. Yeah. Was it Short Circuit 2 or something? She's in that, right.
0: She's got one of those faces from the 80s. If you had flashed this movie on the screen and said, who is that to me before I watched the movie, I would be like, oh, I know her, but I wouldn't be able to give you her name in the way that I could give you Rob Lowe or Patrick Swayze or Keanu, right? Mm. One of the nostalgic attractions for me of this movie is the artifact of the '80s that it truly feels like, and she's part of that. Only because my associations with knowing her are from a few limited things that I saw her in in the '80s, including Short Circuit Two. And I'm sure the guys wanted.
1: escaped it, she didn't. Then, okay, yeah, yeah.
0: The other element of this movie that just felt so nostalgic for me was, and one of the things I did appreciate because this would have been a real easy movie for them to film basically anywhere and just say, "Yeah, we're in Hamilton, guys," or "We're in Thunder Bay." They clearly shot this in Southern Ontario. And like you said earlier, some of it was in Hamilton. I know some of it was in Toronto because I recognized mm-hmm. the scenes. They might have filmed in a few other towns. But well, so- we see
1: Tim Hortons. We see Labatt. We see the kinds yeah, of things that, especially see-
0: if then, were Canadian only. Exactly. Loblaws, Winario, lottery things in the convenience store. That is cool because authentic. it's authentic. And I don't know if you got a kick out of this as much as I did. That same sequence of shots that I mentioned earlier when they bump into each other outside of the movie theater and then Cynthia goes with... Rob Lowe, to buy a book at what they say is a bookstore, but it just looks like a convenience store to me. Right. And I remember at least in the 90s when I was going to convenience stores, they had racks of books, they had racks of magazines, they had racks of comics. Convenience stores were much different back then. But I don't remember convenience stores having pornographic romance novels. Out in the open like that? Out in the open. At least not ones that had full nudity on the cover. Mm. This is a movie that has had two sex scenes in it. Perfectly chaste, no
1: nudity. This book scene was before the second sex scene, though. It
0: was. This is me thinking about it later on. But a movie that has two sex scenes, no nudity, but they choose to have Rob Lowe multiple times Mm. flash the book Nympho, the
1: full breasts exposed on the cover of the book. That's where you choose to have
0: nudity in your movie? Gibb
1: does show a little bit of boob action in their sex scene. Oh, does she? It's very darkly lit. I didn't think she was going to. And then when they're doing the water thing where he won't give her any, and they pull the blankets up, that kind of thing. I think you see it just briefly then.
0: Which is not to say, come on, I got to see some 80s boobs, guys, mm. or anything. You don't need to have the pornographic book. It can say "nympho." that's fine. I but think
1: Peter Markle regretted doing that, too. I think I read that online.
0: The joke that happens later when he gets caught a few times by Ed Lauder and then later by Cynthia Gibb again, reading that book instead of Moby Dick as she had bought for him. I thought that was a cute little running gag. But yeah, the cover of the book could just be like a black
1: cover that says "nympho" or it. Major right? League stole from this movie, too. That's what Tom Berger has to read to re-impress Renee So He's got to read Moby Dick, and before she'll actually fuck him, who I forget what it was, something about Starbucks or something. It was actually Quick Quick, and then yeah. they get it on. So that movie still from this one too. How about that, Ebert? What are you talking about? It's
0: influential. He could look into the future for a man that is such a timeless reviewer of movies. He should watch this and said this movie will inform sports films. For decades to come. At least six
1: years from then. At least, okay. (laughs) A couple times. At least six years in the future, yeah. So Swayze, another pretty boy, of course, did Point Break with Keanu Mm -hmm. many years later. And Keanu was in The Replacements and Hardball. So we've covered him four times now. Maybe it's more, but four for sure. And from what I see, this is his first movie, Keanu's first ever film. He was also in River's Edge this year. But Mm -hmm. if this came out in January, that had to be later in the year. He made TV shows. But I think this was the first time he ever did a movie. And he barely has any screen time in it.
0: I don't know if this is true because, of course, he's wearing a mask for most of it. If the person actually doing the goaltending sequence is him, him, then I give him full credit for pulling that off. Because Mm -hmm. like I said before, to me, the most believable hockey sequences were the goaltending of the Mustangs.
1: Well, he probably was doing that stuff. So I'm saying not really any dialogue and not really a chance to do almost anything else. And yet he's the biggest name of all of them. If Swayze had been still alive all this time, Keanu would still be a bigger name than him. And Lowe, with his television stuff, has certainly become a star again. But his movie career never really truly took off. And Keanu's so did. Yeah, because
0: he is such an expressive man with his emotions, Ryan, and the accent. Why the accent? Again, weird choice. I kept waiting for the scene in this movie that was going to happen some gag about French Canadian hockey players or something, and that's going to pay off the fact that they made Keanu do this accent in the bar scene. It never happens. Keanu Reeves is a guy that is from Southern Ontario, played hockey. Just let him be from Southern Ontario. The movie takes place in Southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. Why does he have to be French-Canadian?
1: Why him? It could be somebody else.
0: Maybe Keanu's like, I can totally do it. Let me do the accent.
1: <laughs> we like, know from right. a lot of other movies he couldn't. Well, Peter Zezel and Steve Thomas, NHL players, are both in this. I didn't pick them out. I don't recognize They were in phrases. this, really? And the guy who plays Dad Youngblood was a real-life player. Oh.
0: I had a signed Peter Zezel 8x10 in my bedroom growing up. I was a Stumpy Thomas fan, but I didn't pick up either of those guys. I didn't either. Do you think they were just maybe extras?
1: No, they were extras. They didn't have a oh, big okay, role. Okay. Joe Sackick is in a sport movie we covered one time, I think, as just a hockey player in the background before he was known as Joe Sakic. Or if you're Bob Cole, Joe Sackick. <laughs> That's a good Bob Cole. <laughs> so we talked about the depiction of the sport already. We think it's pretty well done, except when he's going for surreal qualities. And then, of course, it's bogus with the way they do the lancing of the sticks. But the fighting, when it actually happens, we don't like it, but it's done well enough. Sure. The movie's pretty sexy in its way. The hottest person in the whole movie is certainly Rob Lowe, despite the scar on his head. Gets cross-checked by Racky, and then that's the rest of the movie is that scar. Actually, the real love story in this movie, and I've done this before, this joke, is Lowe and Swayze. It legit That doesn't really pay off. And I also wonder if Swayze was jammed in, and almost like a pickup later on, because he's not at the end behind the scenes. Oh. We see him before the game, but we don't see him celebrating with the team. Hewitt's still around. Yeah. But Sutton is not. That's fair. I wonder. Swayze's in this movie a fair bit, but when
0: you know it's Patrick Swayze in 1986, you kind of expect him to really lead the he way. was becoming a star yeah. too.
1: Probably more than Lowe was at this point.
0: I was surprised that he wasn't in this a little bit more. I do agree with you that the most well-developed relationship and the way it evolves of the movie is between the two, guys. the two guys. I liked the way the camaraderie of the team was portrayed. In particular, like you said, between Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze, because... You see the young blood tryout sequence. You see him in the locker room after he's told you're on the team, and he's just getting—I don't want to say hazed, right? He's being hazed. But there's such a bullying. Okay, at least bullied. There's an extreme connotation to that, and I don't want to sound like I'm pro hazing. At least not in the way that it's taken to a point where somebody's legitimately being hurt or scarred or traumatized. You could probably argue that what they did to him was too far. But just as a general sentiment, I think you and I have probably both experienced this, whether it's part of a team or part of something else. When you're the newbie and you're put through some trial by fire by your new teammates, everybody goes through the same experience Mm -hmm. as the newbie. And then you're sort of bonded, right? And Mm -hmm. then that can be taken to bad places and i certainly acknowledge that But you see why
1: they do it though. but too. i see why they do it it's and been done for
0: centuries probably and and started, es- well sports maybe not centuries but for decades and decades and especially at this era of movie making so for me that felt legitimately accurate i understood it and then in the subsequent sequence we're left with them hazing roblo shaving him bodily he goes to the billeting house he gets taken advantage of by the woman who's running it and then we skip to the bar scene mm-hmm. and everybody's buddy buddy now and then a lot of movies he's still not really fully in with them until he
1: gets drunk later on and that seems like he's in with them
0: which just also makes sense right because they aren't ragging on him at the bar you're right he's not quite part of the gang yet he's not in on all the jokes but he's part of the team now right he's not being ragged on later on you get the scene with sutton and young blood drinking together when he pulls out the stitches and he gives them the advice like you don't want stitches in because they'll try to break him open right. again when we play him. and I kept the puck that Youngblood had thrown in the trash. That's right, exactly. And that's also after they had that conversation with... His first goal is what it was. Yeah, between Youngblood and Sutton, where Youngblood accuses Sutton of not wanting to pass the puck. But all of that felt fairly organic and real to me. In a way that other movies, I'm pretty sure I probably complained about how unearned some of these relationship evolutions have felt to me. And sometimes you'll say it might be director shorthand or you're supposed to interpret certain things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time it doesn't work for me. This one did. So what would you give it for a score? like a 7 out of 10 that high really admitting that part of that score might just be nostalgia for having seen so many of these sequences that I recognize from my childhood even if it's just out and about in the street take it with a grain of salt maybe but I think there's a legitimate heartfelt nature to this movie and some of the relationships and you called it the relationship between Patrick Swayze and Rob Lowe in particular and that flawed though it might be it actually understands hockey and understands the sport in the era that this movie was made on the whole i liked it well, well it's was... more than me then because i
1: was more like five five and a half because okay. i just feel like said, we've seen this many times over mm-hmm. but i'm saying that in 2022 i'm not so sure it was fair to say that 1986
0: if he said that today i agree with you i'd be like yeah this has been done a million times mm-hmm. and probably better but 35 years ago this wasn't as common a story trope mm-hmm. I just think the movie loses a lot when Swayze's not in it, though, and he's not in for probably 30 minutes. I think it's definitely fair to say that he brings the most charisma. And And he's fun. Yeah, he is fun. And I like Rob Lowe. I think he's evolved a lot as a pretty boy that's not projecting a ton of personality on the screen yet. And Swayze does that. I can certainly appreciate if that's a feeling somebody has watching this movie. I think that's fair.
1: Okay, well, that's our first episode of 2023. We've been covering disappointing and even crappy films in the past few months. So let's do one in two weeks. This is guaranteed to be fun and funny. The Naked Gun. Reggie Jackson, the Queen, and the great Enrico Palazzo make cameos. The late Queen, I should have said. That's right. But yes, it's also a sports movie. There's plenty of crazy baseball being played in the Angels-Mariners game at the end when Reggie Jackson... Ooh, I better not say. I can't wait to talk all about the
0: unimpeachable... O.J. Simpson and yep. his spotless record and sports superstardom. Mm-hmm. And can't think of anything else that we might talk about except his
1: sports and acting resume. So yep. looking forward to it. I forgot he's in this. That's true. But it's also 35 years old as the baseball scenes. And we know it'll be fun. So those are good reasons. Yeah. We'll have to deal with O.J. Let's not dwell on it too much. <laughs> All right. We're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at, scoring at Movies. The email address is ScoringAtTheMovies at gmail.com. You can find all 120 episodes in the best podcast places. And I think, since you've designed it, by the time you post this episode, we should have a new logo as well. right? Fingers crossed. Let's see if it's there. Let's hope so. So take her easy, Dean Youngblood, and get a goon to start watching your back. If you keep having to fend off pricks like Racky, you won't make it to next month. Never mind the NHL.